Hey, it's Melvin, one of your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you're a longtime listener, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Reviews are the lifeblood of the podcast world, so if you want to help us out, it'll take only a moment of your time. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the show. So, Dan, do you have anything to say for yourself about about this, about everything that's going on right now? Do you have anything to say about the allegations? <laughs> yeah, uh, man, uh, there's a lot of jokes I could have made off the cuff there, <laughs> and I'm glad I didn't make any of them. I don't want that. I want someone to clip that out of the episode, like like Eric like Andre that. show. <laughs> what do you have to say for yourself? <laughs> uh, we're like trying to do a whole bit where I was ashamed I didn't see Dune. But to clarify, partially why I didn't see Dune is that this week has been insane. And I've had a bunch of stuff going on and a bunch of ministry things. And it was crazy. The other reason is you express- expressly told me not to watch Dune on HBO Max. Yes. Despite the fact it's what I pay $50 a month for is to to ruin the art of cinema every month. by <laughs> To watch it taking, on your phone while yeah, doing chores. <laughs> yeah, to, to, to cast it to, you know, my tablet while I'm sitting on the toilet or something. <laughs> like, just as Denny Villanueva intended. Yes, in in like 10-minute increments <laughs> throughout the next few weeks while you're yeah, in the bathroom. I, yeah, I just, I just put it on in my... I have the car thing where you put your GPS. I put my phone there, put Dune on while I'm at red lights. and So I know. saw Dune twice in theaters, both in a Dolby screening, which I will keep... Uh, evangelizing for stop seeing an IMAX. IMAX is the worst. Um, it is in a 2K screen when you could obviously just be seeing it in a 4K screen. Uh, better audio quality, better seats, um, and significantly better audio quality. Every time I've seen an IMAX, it hurts. It literally hurts. It's disgusting. I don't know why people just do this to themselves. Um, it's just the worst. So go see it in Dolby. It's crisper and cleaner. Um, but I've seen it twice in that format. And by gosh, golly, it's a wonderfully beautiful film it, visually. Uh, there's plenty to talk about, about like the actual film itself. Um, and probably less so in terms of um, what it can offer visually, because that's sort of how Villeneuve is. And also Dune is complicated and hard, hard, to, hard to adapt. And I think he does the best with what he can. Um, I wish the movie was three movies or the series was going to be three movies long because then I think he would have had plenty of time to work. But I suspect Dune will be getting the extended cut treatment. Um, Warner Brothers would be insane not to do extended cut treatment um, for the for Dune. Um, they've already done it with Lord of the Rings and they kind of, I think, did it with The Hobbit, which nobody asked for. <laughs> but they did do that. I think, but I think it's actually only in the in UK prints um, of it is there's an extended cut. So you have to really go far for it, but don't do it. It's not worth it. Um, those movies were too long to begin with. Yeah. So I was like, do not see it. <laughs> do not see it on HBO Max. Maybe you could watch it your second or third time on HBO Max, but because I, I don't know, maybe I'll check it out again. But I feel like after two times, I'm like, all right, I'm good. It's not like Blade Runner 2049. I saw that five times in theaters. But part just to apologize to listeners, as you could probably tell from the uh, sudden aged, worldly wisdom quality of my voice, <laughs> I'm, I'm once again for two straight episodes not uh, a bit under the weather as a recording, which is also why I didn't go to theaters. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if Dune just became another extended franchise. Like I feel like. I wouldn't surprise me if Danny maybe directed the second one. Well, he and is. Then He's coming he, back for the second one at least. Yeah. But then like he gets put into like executive producer role. So he's the Feige. Have, the pretent- yeah. He's not pretentious himself. I'm, I'm sure he seems like just a guy who loves his job, but he will be who pretentious people go as like, Oh, you're you're a Marvel guy. You're a Marvel guy. <laughs> oh, well, I like Dune. I want I've been lose my favorite. That that's gonna that's gonna be what happens, man. It's gonna turn into that. But yeah, I guess that that could be pretty neat to see if he became like their executive producer, guiding everything, saying no, do this, do that, kind of thing. Yeah, well, I mean, Dune is a pretty large franchise. Like they have, it's a series of books. I don't know how many there are. There's a lot. There's quite a few. If you ever go to a used bookstore. And, or anything and you go i want to maybe maybe i'll finally read dune because everyone's tried to read dune probably like 10 times in their life you'll find that there's going to be like you'll go to, there'll be like a million beat up paperbacks 
of books that have the word Dune in them somewhere. And you're yes. just like, which one of the, where do I start? What is this? You know? Hey there, it's your friendly neighborhood call to action. Just checking in on you. Hope you're doing all right. I'm just stopping by to say, you know, if you enjoy the show, you can always subscribe and write a review for Cinematic Doctrine. There's iTunes, Podchaser, basically anywhere you listen. You can give us a shout out with a thumbs up, five stars, gripping positivity. Or if you hate the show, you can say that too. Hey, what? What are you saying? Why are you saying that? Well, I'm not going to tell them what to do, Ted. They're free to do what they want. Our analytics say we got a lot of listeners in the U.S., and you know they love their freedoms. And you're also free to check out our Twitter. Very active there. We host polls, memes. There's also the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group called Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group. If you want to join, just answer the questions, read the rules, and tell them the podcast sent you. Also, you should check out our website. Some really cool stuff there. Editorials, written reviews for movies we haven't had time to cover. Always check out cinematicdoctrine.com when you get the chance. Oh, uh, Ted also told me I shouldn't forget to mention the Patreon. Something about you can support us or something? Wait, Ted, I thought this was like a hobby thing. You want me to... expand Cinematic Doctrine. You know this already. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, (laughs) I forgot. I'm the one who put all this together. Yeah, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can gain access to early uncut episodes of the podcast. Oh, and did I mention, you get to tell us what to do. That's right, each month you get to vote on a movie we discuss on the show. Anyways, I gotta run, so I'll see you guys later. If you want to have lots of free time to go to the movies, don't do ministry and get married. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I'll also I, I'll, I'll take this moment to also while while we have some free time, uh, we're not doing anything important right now. Uh, I will say I previously re- uh, recommended on the show a animated television series called Inside Job, uh, which I recommended with the caveat that I had only seen the first three episodes, so I don't know if the content gets particularly uh, offensive or blue. And I, I'll come clean about something real quick. I will confess to one thing, which is that I had watched two and a half of the three episodes that had premiered. And if you follow us on Twitter, I've already thrown this out there, but the third episode of Inside Job ends with a very brief, not graphic, but it is implied. So for context, the episode, they go to like the hollow earth and they're doing a like ambassador mission with the lizard people that run the government. Well, they don't run the government. They're like, they work together. And, but like, cause they're, they're animals. So they do like, um, animal things animal so one things. Of the things is they have a i think i know like what you're a, talking about because i saw it on imdb and i was like uh okay <laughs> yeah there's an implied orgy between lizards though and it's off screen but it's implied it happens i was like i could see someone being offended by this so i threw it on twitter i was just like hey i know i said that nothing particularly inappropriate happens but uh this happens <laughs> so if that seems like something you don't like and i will also clarify that as the series goes on it simultaneously gets a lot better but also they do have more crude humor. Uh, so I, I will softly bump it up from being similar to Bob's Burgers and say it is closer to something like Rick and Morty or Archer in that Rick and Morty actually is probably the bit more closer uh, comparison where it's a mixture of high concepts, like plots and ideas and premises for shows. And then they mix in some really blue humor in there, but it's often so abstract and strange that I am never particularly offended by it. But for other people's sensibilities, they might not enjoy it. I also say that it is also one of the shows where there's the first season's 10 episodes. The ninth episode is really good. And the 10th episode actually really brings everything together in a surprisingly emotionally satisfying way. I was very surprised by how emotionally invested I actually become in the characters by the 10th episode. So um, like as just a show beyond, I think it's very funny um, because it's, specifically as jokes about things like conspiracy theories and 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 stuff like that that i'm really Which into are definitely big right now <laughs> yeah but it's like it's like fun conspiracy theories like stuff about like cryptids and and easter island heads and stuff but so it's a good show but you know if if you turned off rick and morty or archer because you thought it was too uh offensive then inside jobs probably gonna be same speed but alex hirsch shows up voicing the guy who actually assassinated jfk so you know it, <laughs> nice. the, that's awesome so yeah. we figured we'd also talk about so dan had recommended a couple episodes ago the movie 
there's someone inside your house with another caveat, which was specifically, uh, does, is this movie bad? Let us know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I don't know if we call that recommendation necessarily. It was more it like was I was an trying experiential to... <laughs> recommendation. I was trying to get data from from our beloved listeners. Well, I can tell you on Letterboxd that it has a, an average of 2.4 out of 10. I'm sorry, out of 5, because they do a 5-star rating, but they do halves, so it's te- technically a 10-point scale. Uh, so I just I just remember us talking about it, and I was listening to it even as I edited it, and I was like, this movie's weirdly eager to be talked about (laughs) it has a lot of stuff to kind of get into um and so i thought it'd be just interesting to kind of talk about there's someone inside your house a little more yeah dan like did you so when we were talking a little bit about it i mentioned that it felt like a very zoomer zoo like movie uh what when you watched it did you kind of get that same vibe and like like, did it seem like something that if you were to show, which I would be weird, but to show your youth kids at, <laughs> at church, they would just kind of nod like, mm, yes, yes, this is, this is what it's like. <laughs> like, would you kind of get that vibe? I'm That's not. That's a great question. I'm not asking you to do that, which I, I, that reminds me that my youth leader, like I had just finished reading Watchmen, the comic. And he's like, dude, let's watch it together. <laughs> so then we watched Zack Snyder's Watchmen. Of course, then there's like a couple scenes where he like turns to me and is like, I'm sorry, Melvin, maybe we shouldn't be watching this. <laughs> and then we just turned back and finished watching it. So youth leaders, I don't know. I think it's just a staple that youth leaders do stupid things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but- I, my... um. One of my youth pastors as a kid almost got fired because he showed Gran Torino on a, on a youth <laughs> that's event. That's awesome. Why, yeah, youth leaders showing movies. Because that same one that showed me Watchmen, very early in his ministry for youth, they watched Children of the Corn. <laughs> it's just like, I don't understand. Does it, does, I'm a youth leader now. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I will do stupid things. And he was great. Like He was really good. And uh, But it was just like, I don't know. You just, I guess you do dumb things every now and then. I have several theories as to why this is a thing. First is that, <laughs> first is that I feel like, I feel like youth people in leadership when it comes to youth ministry at, at every level just aren't as seriously vetted as other ministries and on multiple levels. Like one, they don't expect you to be like, have a PhD or anything like that. They just want somebody who has some sort of credentials. Yeah. If at all. And even at lower tiers, you just like, if you're a kid who graduated from that youth group, you could be like a junior youth leader, basically when you're like 18 yeah. or 19 years old. Yeah. Um, and so there's that, but also they're just looking for people who can relate to these kids. And so it's just like, Oh, we saw that you have pop figures. Would you like to be involved in the youth ministry? <laughs> yeah. So it's they just, they grab these nerdy weirdo people, myself included. And they're just like, Hey, you can talk to kids. Right. And so you get people who are like, uh, and then the only thing they can relate to kids with is pop culture stuff. So like, you guys want to watch a superhero movie together? You know, it's just all yeah. they got. And I also just feel like because you also tend to be hiring younger people, that like part of your brain that helps you filter out bad decisions isn't all there. Yeah. And so you're just like, oh, what's the big deal? You know, like my pastor's wife is traumatized because she watched the original Halloween at a youth group lock in like as a kid and so she she can't watch horror movies to this day because she was scarred as a kid watching that we also watched alien one year which granted good taste i like these choices but both of those even have nudity so it's weird to show it to a youth because like and you miss it in alien it's hard to hard to miss or it's hard to miss in halloween but it's easy to miss an alien because i think it's just pinups in one of the uh rooms but and it's not the focus at all because you're basically no. watching as a robot's <laughs> being destroyed. But like, but even the end is still provocative, arguably, because Ridley Scott's a, a menace. Um, I, <laughs> I think it's like pretty consistent that Ridley women Scott's who've worked with Ridley Scott um, have hated working with Ridley Scott. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but what a surprise that men in Hollywood are monsters. I, I, youth, the whole youth ministry thing is super interesting to me because I feel like there's all these red flags that just intrinsically come up with it. Like you have. I ran into trouble when I first became a youth leader because I was only like 22, 23 years old and I was working with kids, but I'm like, I'm older than them, but I'm in this weird gray area where I'm also young enough where I could still relate to them. And so you run into all these like weird boundary issues 
we, there were there were girls in the youth group that would like come up to me and um, make comments they shouldn't have. A few, yeah, you told me about that. Yeah, you know, and stuff like that, or try and like see if I wanted to hang out outside of youth group. You're like, just, uh, like no, no, for so many reasons, <laughs> no. But it's one of those things where it's like it's easier to to go against those boundaries when you're mixing not just people who are too close in age, but like there are these periods of our life where like their decision making is completely off. They're trying to figure themselves out. And there is something there is something vulnerable and intimate about the nature of ministry, like at all levels, where you're 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 sharing people's burdens, you're caring for them, you're praying for them. You're and it, when you're at that age, when you're 17, or 18 years old, you're also asking big questions. You're asking about like who am I? You know, what am I going to do with my life? Who, what kind of person should I be? Well, and even talking like the the compromising nature of intimacy in that area when you're growing up, you're also thinking about your sexuality, um, which I know Christians hate the idea of exploring sexuality, and for good reason because oftentimes they're not teaching how to explore it in a healthy manner. And I don't even mean explore it as in like learning how to <laughs> learn it. This is going to sound bizarre, but learning how to orgasm or have sex. <laughs> the minute you open that door to that sentence, you're just like, oh no. And you start stumbling around in that room. I know. I have to start explaining it. Um, but <laughs> it's like, like, why did I do this? It's like, it's like, <laughs> why did I start this sentence? Exploring sexuality is more in the sense of being safe, not, and not in the cultural sense of protection, but more in like not having sex, <laughs> but understanding that you have these feelings. And so like when you're, someone's caring about you, praying for you, you can share with them intimate things. You start to correlate. Oh, but that means I could also pursue maybe physical <laughs> intimacy. No, you can't do that. Uh, be careful. Don't do that. Because oftentimes the church doesn't want to even talk about it. Um, because they're babies and they just want to let the culture teach you instead, um, you're left with some 23-year-old youth pastor who's getting hit on by like a just turned 18-year-old. babies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is it? You just, you, didn't you say you had one who said, I just turned 18 and you were like, I'm dead. <laughs> like I, I am in a casket and I am never talking to you again. Um, it's yeah. just like, and for, if, if anyone out there is having sim- experiences, immediately go to leadership, let them know what's happening. Yes. Don't waste time. Send a photo of the text. <laughs> no, this is in person for the record. We were at an event and you know, there are people who, this basically comes as a shock to some people listening to this, but there are people who flat don't believe in youth ministry. They don't think it should exist. They think it's a problem. Partially for the reasons I'm mentioning. I've definitely had that phase, but that's because I didn't think it was useful. I mean, I I didn't think it was useful for me, but I also, I think it was just uniquely, I had a bad experience with youth leader. Right. And uh, I, I think it's, but I think it's possible. It's just, it's difficult and it is during this stage where if if you're a video game person, then this makes total sense. And if you're not, bear with me. But it's like you have the skill tree and you're seeing all the options of what you can do. <laughs> spoken can like t- a youth pastor. <laughs> yeah, spoken like a youth pastor. You have a tech tree and you see what you can do, but you don't know what you want to do. And by the time you've chosen one option and it's five years later and you go, oh, I wish I didn't do this. Now you feel miserable and you're very, very, very vulnerable because your emotions are tender. Yeah, And so it's that's, that's what it is. And so having youth leaders for guidance can help but oftentimes if you're having a youth leader who's 22 or 23 and is still in that tech tree phase because they have student loans <laughs> and they're miserable they dumped all their points into stealth in a game there's no stealth mission yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah there's always that one kid in the youth leader who when you play video games i'm the sniper i'm the ninja and yeah. they're the worst at it they're not good and no one has the heart to tell them just just follow the meta. Please don't be a sniper. <laughs> We're playing on a small map. It doesn't matter. I, I I firmly believe that youth ministry can be successful. I just also think that it needs the same level of care and oversight that you'd give to every other ministry. And for yeah. some reason, youth ministry, and there, there are some logistical reasons for this. Youth ministry has the highest amount of turnover and shifting and changing of any ministry. Yes. It's always that one student who goes to seminary who's coming in from another state who always already has the plan to go to another church. <laughs> who's now your youth leader. And so they have less incentive (laughs) to be investing into the children, but also they probably don't have the bandwidth to invest in any of these kids. Yeah. And that's definitely true. A lot of people age out of youth ministry, you know, (laughs) they they show you children of the corn and they've just (laughs) traumatized a bunch of children. And they're like, well, I'm not going to be here next year anyway. So Uh, I guess it's not my problem. I'm I'm a missionary now. (laughs) And just like leave. (laughs) That and like your population that you're ministering to is always changing. 
And so like everything, and it's also always at the forefront of culture. All the stuff that's like just now hitting the mainstream church has already hit youth groups like five years ago, you know? And like, and like you said, like there's no, there aren't a lot of people who sit, stop and invest in the ministry itself. So you're constantly looking for new leadership and the need for new leadership is what partially what leads to this. Like, we'll just, we just need bodies. So we'll grab somebody. And the number of kids I know who left our youth group and never came back because one of the youth leaders we got came in and just said something crazy one week, you know, yes, or they like yeah. didn't know. What or, you know, we've had people who just became a Christian who now are in some sort of leadership. And I just like, you need people that a, kids can look at and they can just look at their lives and they can go, that's what a Christian looks like. You need people who can do that. B, you need people that can handle questions and can give good answers to questions. Yeah. And, but, and C, you need people that you can trust with like basic childcare stuff that can, you, can you leave the room and expect these people to watch the kids and no one's going to get hurt? Can you, when they, when you're going to an event, can you trust them to drive the van? Can you trust them to like chaperone kids? And very rarely do you get people who hit all three of those things. Yeah. And especially it's difficult when you have people who, them, like I said, a 19 year old kid who just gave his life to Christ, you're poor. That guy needs discipleship. You know, like I can't, like I can't be there and discipling you and then hoping that there's just like trickle down spiritual economics where like my discipling you, which does not ex- exist. It's it doesn't even exist. Trickle economics doesn't even work in the real world. <laughs> <laughs> like, how, how are you going to make it work in spirituality? Yeah. It's just a whole <laughs> mess. And then when you throw all that stuff in there with the fact that you have like, again, I just said, and this is not a random example. I know multiple churches where like one of the worst youth groups I was ever in as a kid was like one of the big fancy churches, but their quote unquote youth leadership was mostly other youth kids, right? Or kids who just left youth group, most of whom aren't even Christians anymore. But like you have 19 year old and here's another wrinkle. When people pick people for leadership, and this is a whole tangent, but this is something that bothers me a lot. They, I think we often make the mistake of looking for the wrong attributes because when you think of the people that that pastor, and this is any business, this happens in if you're working a blue collar job, this happens if you're working in an office, whatever. The people who tend to get noticed by leadership are people that have certain sets of skills, people who are charismatic, people who can lead a group, people who can talk and people who listen, people who, or they're just musicians. And those are people that tend to get picked for leadership positions, which in a youth context, oh, we want to pick the kids who are natural leaders. We can pick the kids natural leaders. When you're 17 or 18 years old, the natural leaders are just cool kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're yeah. not picking the kids who are quietly sitting in the background reading their Bible and really earnestly love the Lord because they're not, you know, maybe they have three or four friends. You're picking the kid that's like the center of the kid. They're they're leading the TikTok dances, they play in the flash mob school. <laughs> it's not much different from elementary school. Whoever's no. the fastest and, the <laughs> and there's something to this where hopefully if you're doing youth ministry pretty well the youth pastor themselves or whoever the youth leadership team is they have a relationship with this kid as well so they can actually see beyond that but uh, the church i'm talking about which yeah, i'm not gonna name them or anything but like the leadership ended up just being the popular kids and then guess what when those kids came to power so to speak like the kids that got the focus, the kids that got discipleship were just their friends, you know? Yeah. And it was just a weird dynamic. You start alienating the ones who are in serious pain or maybe are wearing t-shirts and you're seeing their cuts on their arms and stuff like that. Or it's just the kids who are just normal kids who are just looking for a youth group. Right. And like, yeah. they're just like, well, this is a big party that I'm barely invited to. You know, that youth group had like a hundred something kids at one point and it went down to like 25 eventually. And it was partially for this reason. And this happens at every church at some small level where you just pick the person who's fun with the youth group games or they they like, you know, they have good social media presence or something. But that doesn't mean they're going to be good at ministry. That doesn't mean anything. Like, right. what's your walk with the Lord like? Where are you at spiritually? Like, d- can you name the books of the Bible? <laughs> like, you know, we don't know any <laughs> of these things. And it's just like, you know. And there's probably some semi-bitter, obviously, because I was never a particularly popular kid or anything in high school. Or at least not popular in the ways that counted, I guess. And then I just saw all these other people get looked over. And my my the church my dad pastor, the youth pastor that of that they picked was picked because of these reasons. Because he was smart, he was funny, and he he could lead a room. And he just completely imploded and destroyed my dad the the youth group of my dad's church. You know, so I've seen this happen over and over again. So you know. Why do why do we have youth leaders that just show horror movies and have bad boundaries with kids? It's because you just hired a bunch of older kids, which is becoming more of a pronounced issue now with the whole delayed adolescence thing, where you and I, we're not old people, but we're also not kids, but you know, 
we're talking about superhero movies every week <laughs> for, yeah. for a secondary income. And the only reason this even exists is because like the age of people stop being kids is like diminishing. And now you have 22 year old big kids who are just kids with driver's licenses and he can drink and now they're youth pastors you know <laughs> they have so much power yeah. <laughs> so much power and it's so dangerous well i i always kind of go back to the media literacy thing because i think that's one of the biggest primary issues that's why you have your creepy uh relative who keeps reading fake news online all of the time because he has no concept of media literacy he can't go to the about page where they clearly say it's a fake website um, or he can't even, he doesn't even know how to look up when a domain name was bought to know that it's a fake website. And oftentimes those who are, uh, put into positions of authority have no understanding of media literacy. Um, or, con- and, and oftentimes I think if you have a good sense of media literacy, that especially helps if you're able to do cross generational, uh, conversations. Um, so like, talking about there's someone inside your house where you said you watched it with <laughs> real your, back in there it is um but well, i think it all still fits because you said you watched it with your father-in-law and there's one section and there's someone inside your house where the class president essentially she stands up on a table and points to a non-gendered student who um starts saying i think they're so brave and the fact that they keep doing this and uh, is just wonderful. It's changing norms and this and that, whatever. And, and then, of course, you're watching as the non-gendered student is embarrassed, feels used, feels uncomfortable. Um, the following scene, they're bitter and angry because it's like, here's this white girl who is the lead, um, who's the um, privileged individual within the school, basically just um, using them to uh, get more points basically. And it's like your father-in-law is probably sitting there and like either his <laughs> gaskets are fuming and there's oil dripping out of his ears and there's like sparks flying out, or there's completely no comprehension of what this, what this entire series of sentences means. And, uh, that requires an understanding of a new generation because it's a matter of understanding a culture and community, Acts 17 stepping in and then being able to reform through the love of Christ. Um, and oftentimes people miss that because I'm also thinking like you could, you would be at youth group and you have this new kid who's 24. He's obviously the popular one. So you just gave him the reins and the keys to lead the youth group. And then you have this one session where you're sitting down for Bible study and then he just sighs and goes, yeah, gays, huh? <laughs> and then you have, now you have your new convert to Christianity sitting there who has several gay friends who's now very uncomfortable and will never come back and he will never feel comfortable around Christians again because you had your 24-year-old semi-alt-right converted via YouTube algorithm to listen to Steven Crowder and figures like that who now is just having a talking about homosexuality with no concept or understanding of how Christianity talks about these things. Um, how Christianity talks about how Romans two four it is the love of the Lord that can that brings us to Christ, not the law, and uh, and then you're stuck with this, and then you go home and you never go to youth group ever again. It's uh, it's complicated and frustrating. I know I've experienced stuff like that at youth group where it became basically the cool kids. A lot of the kids at my youth group went to the same Christian school, and so it was basically just that Christian school extended. <laughs> and so if there were kids who were not from that Christian school going to the youth group, they were alienated, and I would spend time with them. But I also went to that Christian school, and I wanted to hang out with my friends as well, so it was very hard to navigate. And the youth leaders never really knew how to cross that bridge, and that's on top of this shifting culture that was taking place, because it's probably not as difficult as it is now, but... I was growing up becoming into the internet age uh, where you had completely new issues. You mentioned it in another episode where you have um, kids who are basically being exposed to pornography before they're 10 years old. And uh, that's, are you, are these, (laughs) are these new hires to youth leadership who are 26 years old, ready to do that, to deal with that. And so it's, it's complicated. This has been very educational, Dan, but but, uh, do we want to still talk about there's someone inside your house or have we sort of even talked about the film without even talking about the movie? Because honestly, that's sort of what it feels like with the movie, which is 
everyone's got <laughs> something inside their house. Everyone's got this closet filled with skeletons. The titular house is our lives, and the something is hidden secrets. It is wearing its subtext on its sleeve. That is the movie, and it's very weird because uh, the central killer has a great gimmick, which is he uh, or she, whoever the killer is, uh, they 3D print out a mask of the person they're about to kill. So as you're running away from getting stabbed, a person with your face is chasing you, which is pretty cool. And the opening kill of the movie is great, where you see someone suddenly get stalked in their house. And it's kind of like a James Wan style buildup where uh, things get spookier and spookier. And then eventually they get there's a gross stabby thingy and there's tons of squib and corn syrup everywhere and they get stabbed to death. Uh, and then as we were talking about the film, then transitions into being like a coming of age teen romance. And what's so fascinating about it to me is I can't decide if it handles these things really well. Uh, apparently general audience feelings is that it doesn't where you either a, you feel like there's way too much of the teen coming of age drama stuff that admittedly I didn't find particularly interesting and you wanted more killing or you are the type of person who enjoys those types of movies and you don't really and the whole like, there's a murder on the loose thing is just distracting from the main plot, which I do think there's potential for more crossover. You have stuff like Riverdale, but yeah, there's a growing subgenre of pseudo horror dramas or true crime inspired dramas. And this definitely feels like it's going to be in that vein where this is going to hit all of the boxes of what the kids like these days, where you're getting a enticing murder mystery. There's drama, there is sultry, uh, undertones to things there's uh, hidden secrets and people backstabbing each other literally and figuratively and it seems like a surefire hit but i just don't know if it juggles all these balls in the air uh, really successfully and that's really where i think the movie kind of loses way about 40 minutes in it just really really leans heavier on the drama aspect than the because you get two murders really fairly quickly and that's pretty satisfying where the pace is there, where you're like, all right, I'm really digging this. And then it just kind of, and then it just kind of, yeah, it falls apart. You mean like in the beginning? Because there's the opening kill, and then there's the president, the school president gets killed. Yeah. And then after that, it's, yeah, it's, it's like another 20 minutes before the next kill. And that next kill is confusing because that person didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Where, because it sets up, we're killing people that have done terrible things. In like a Heather's thing. Yeah. And then the third person they kill is just like someone coping with like abusive parents. So it's like, why didn't you kill the parents? <laughs> like they, they're the bad people, uh, which teenagers would love. They'd be like, yeah, this is, I want this. Take that mom and dad. Yeah. yeah. And it just, then it's just like, oh, okay. And it's a pretty gruesome death. Like <laughs> he gets like, he gets, um, I don't know, whoever wrote it had a real vendetta about <laughs> against this character. There's a cynical edge to it. And this sense of like, the only thing that's important, the only thing that matters is the here and now and the relationships you have with each other, you know, which isn't a new thing that this movie's pioneering necessarily. I just think it's the targets of the film's rage are just more modern. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I keep mentioning Heather's, but it's the thing that it really reminds me of, or, you know, the craft or anything like that. But none of those movies, John Hughes never wrote about a character who is a podcaster or something. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, I I think it's just an update of the targets that teen parents don't know what they're talking about. And they're all dirty, rotten scoundrels. And the world is terrible and the world's going to end. So why don't we just enjoy who we have here and now? Yeah, um, that's a that's a kind of a universal feeling that, you know, that's not a new thing to youth culture by any means. I think the movie just updates those tropes. And I would be kind of interested in seeing because this was initially a book. This was a uh, so I which I really feel like would work a lot better. Like, I think the pace would just work a lot better and you would actually care about the characters more. So the drama elements would land better because you're getting to know the characters. And I think all of that would definitely translate better to its original medium versus here where when you're having to sacrifice something the extra stuff that you're cutting is going to be just extra character development stuff so yeah it's just it definitely has that kind of cynical side to it that i think modern generations really love kids now are cynical really cynical more so than ever i opened up sunday school this year by asking the kids 
uh, who here thinks about death? How often do you guys think about death? And they all were just like, oh, I think about death every day. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, my type of people, you know? And- <laughs> yes. Uh, I was hoping we could continue our cynicism, though, and talk about Eternals, because you were saying, so this is, we are recording, <laughs> well, this episode is probably up on Tuesday morning, so we are recording the day before Tuesday. Wow, Monday. And uh, in three days, four days, Eternals comes open to the p- general public, and Daniel told me that the reviews were kind of middling and bad for it, and even the good reviews are saying <laughs> it's not good. Um, and I think they're just throwing a bone to Marvel because they're in worship of Marvel and they still want to get their early screen tickets to see their movies. You were telling me that it's been middling, which of course is not a surprise because it seems every adaption of the Eternals, including its original form, has been a disaster. <laughs> Overly leaning on exposition. I even saw, what is it, the Neil Gaiman adaption still has overly over-reliance on exposition and it sounds like Eternals is that. And to keep ourselves from being dated, of course, we haven't really dated ourselves too much with this episode, but to keep all of it from being dated, um, I thought this is probably a good time to not just talk about Eternals potentially being not very good, but also the fact that this is like the seventh Marvel property to come out this year with like two more coming up with Hawkeye and the new Spider-Man. And you know what? There's probably going to be another one. Spider-Man Endgame. Yeah. Like. And then January, we got Morbius. Oh, my gosh. Real yeah, Marvel, you can't guess, even. Or whatever, but. Yeah, there's, there's lots of stuff coming out, which if, if this is your thing, this is a great time to be alive. You survived the cultural pruning of COVID-19, <laughs> and now you have been rewarded with a Marvel property every month. <laughs> well, it's. Good job, you pop vinyl collector. It's not like you went out of the house anyway, so you weren't going to die. So you were fine. The, the real. Uh. The real thing I bring to the table here is that because I'm somebody who's on Reddit like all the time, uh, I see all of the Reddit discussions and I'm on Twitter all the time, which, by the way, I'm just going to say right now, if you are a 200th Twitter follower or a 500th follower or a 1000th follower, I will send you a T-shirt. We don't have merch yet, but I will make you a shirt that says like I was Cinematic Doctor's 200th follower on Twitter and I will mail it to you personally. So just throw that out there. But uh, I just went to the Eternals page on Letterboxd, and the top comment is a completely frictionless two-hour, 40-minute platitude, one of the most flavorless things I've ever seen. That is pretty rough. Is that kind of what you're seeing on Reddit? Is that it's mostly a mixture of people being apologists for Marvel going, ah, it's okay, it's an art house movie, and then other people going, what are you talking about? So I first I was going to comment on the fact that like you are sitting there and... Because every time we get on the call, we're just you're just like, all right, what's coming out? What are we gonna do? Let's just plan some episodes. I'm always like, well, the Turtles comes out, then Hawkeye comes out, and we got Morbius and Spider Man. And every time you just like, ah, <sighs> like I can just I'm see like, yeah. you just like start losing your tenuous grip on sanity. I think like I'll throw back like, is there anything else? <laughs> like, can we talk about anything else? And you're just like, I haven't seen anything else. <laughs> and I'm like, no. I need- <laughs> and um. It's funny, like you say that. Meanwhile, uh, there's some issues in the Marvel Studio subreddit where people are like, "Why is so much of the conversation right now about like dumb stuff?" People are posting like, "What's your favorite helmet in the MCU? What's your favorite side <laughs> character?" You know, whatever. So that was a real post, man, and it got like three thousand <laughs> upvotes. Terrible. And someone was like, well, there just isn't a lot of new content to talk about. What are you talking like, about? I almost put my <laughs> fist through my monitor. I was just like, what are you talking about, man? Um, I don't know. There's been like, there's like so much like there's we had four miniseries in like the past like eight months. What are you talking about? Like, we just had Shang-Chi. The Venom 2 has the post credit scene. We're getting Eternals. And when like, MCU fans complain, it is... The it worst. is privilege. It is literally privilege. <laughs> that is privilege. It, it's it's <laughs> like you have nothing to complain about. We have been waiting for this Batman movie since Batman vs Superman. It has had so <laughs> many different iterations. We have been patient, <laughs> and the Marvel fans, oh, oh Eternals is bad. Oh, it's like it's like they just turned into the boss baby, and they're complaining. It's so weird. Well, even like I don't people get it. Who are like. The whole thing of like, why won't Warner Bros. give us what we deserve? Extended Snyderverse. It's just like, first off, you don't deserve anything. Shut up. But also like, dude, like how many Batman movies in Batman things do you want, man? There's a, like, we've had like 
50 batman in like 20 years like there's video games and cartoons and tv shows and they have the best precedent the fact that they can just make it a new batman like james bond yeah makes it way better than like the mcu where it's like yeah you're not if you're an iron man fan (laughs) sucks you'll never get another iron (laughs) that dude's dead (laughs) like like they can never do it maybe that's one of the benefits of opening up the canon yeah because you could then have other iron men well that's why like the popular fan theory is that the spider-man movie is gonna have i like this idea actually which is it's gonna end with like andrew garfield being the spider-man of like the sony movies and then tom holland you could just have multiple Spider-Men running around. Like why, why it's cause that's a weird thing where it's just like, there's no reason to just here's the thing. So I'm not one of those people that thinks Sony has some sort of like sacred. I'm sorry. I'm not one of those people that thinks Disney has some sort of sacred right to Spider-Man. Like people treat Sony like they're the bad guys for wanting to do Spider-Man stuff. It's just like, no, they made a deal. Like, like, 20 years ago they made a completely legal normal deal to make spider-man movies they're not wrong for wanting to make why can't why can't we have feige have (laughs) spider-man he's helped it's funny thing he helps them out on their movies like he he's been a creative consultant they didn't use any of his notes for the amazing spider-man 2 apparently which okay that probably is why the movie turned but yeah on the other side i don't like the movies they make so i feel very conflicted on the issue where it's just like I don't think Sony is the bad guy for wanting to like use the IP they rightfully made a deal for, but I also don't want to see a Madame Web movie or just a Silver Sable movie or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it seems awful. So I think this would be a nice compromise where everyone could just get what they want finally. But so yeah, Eternals doesn't look great. So there's people who've already seen it. Also, be careful. The entire plot of the movie is online. Like people started spamming like a character death on Twitter as like a meme. So if you don't like spoilers, careful. But yeah, so the entire movie has been seen. It's been talked about. And the the talk is that the movie is mostly dialogue. And here's the thing. Like Eternals, as you mentioned, is not a particularly popular franchise, even less so than Guardians of the Galaxy or something. Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. Where Eternals is in this weird position where they're kind of just they're just not very interesting characters. And there's other characters that also do what they do. Essentially. Like they're not particularly more different than squadron Supreme or the justice league, with, you know, or anything like that. They're very generic superheroes with not particularly interesting backstories or backstories are very similar to the backstories of like the inhumans and stuff. And they're also tied with the celestials. And there's all this like mumbo jumbo that part of what made the MCU successful at this point is that they use characters that either everyone kind of already knew like captain america hulk whatever or you kind of very quickly know what their deal is like even if you're not familiar with shang chi for example you get the character like oh kung fu guy okay you know eternals not such a deal they have like these they have weird powers they have a complicated backstory and they unlike other marvel properties you don't ever have that buy-in where it's just like okay maybe if you're not super familiar with black panther you saw him in civil war he was pretty cool huh jack bozeman really charismatic so everyone's kind of like okay sure and then you have all these supporting or like you just throw a hulk into a thor movie to make sure that people go see it or whatever this is not like that there's none of those characters it's a complete fresh slate it's two and a half hours yeah and you know i literally talked to cat this weekend and i was like Eternal seems kind of cool. I mean, it has new characters I've never seen before, an entirely different uh, concept, a band of heroes that are basically talking about, like, why didn't we do anything to stop Thanos? Um, I'm like, all oh, this sounds fascinating. And then I said to Kat, and then since it's not really an origin movie because they already exist, it'll be nice and quick. And then, yeah, as we we're getting ready for this episode, I and Dan told me, yeah, it's not looking good. <laughs> it's like a dead on arrival. Because uh, 60% for a Marvel movie on Rotten Tomatoes is not 59% good. 59% when you look at it. So, rotten. Let's let's get it down. Come on, boys. <laughs> um, I went to the IMDb and like I saw that it was an hour, two, two hours and 37 minutes. And I was like, just my heart. <laughs> like, I was not even my heart. I don't know. what What's my least important organ in my body? Like a 
kidney or something. Appendix. You can get rid of appendix. Yeah, my appendix fell apart, and I was just like, well, no, that'll kill me if that falls apart. My left pinky toe, I don't know, which one do I think is less important? That had a spiked pain for a second because I was like, oh, no, it's super long. Oh, bummer. And now now I'm getting it. Like, even before going to see the movie, it's like, ah, got a DACA star. (laughs) (laughs) Bummer. (laughs) You chose to make it two hours, two and a half hours. You know what was two and a half hours and could have been a little longer? Dune. You know Uh. what's a a two and a half hour movie that does not need to be long? And I can tell you that before it starts. Eternals. (laughs) It just does not need to be that. To be clear, listeners, we will not unfairly criticize the Marvel movie until we see it. So we're not going to like go and be like, ah, we knew this movie would be terrible. We're going to give it a fair shake. I promise. Uh, Don't you don't, but they already know we're DC fans. Uh We know we love DC. We saw Snyderverse and we thought it was fantastic. That's why we reviewed it, Dan. That's why we reviewed (sighs) the Snyder cut this year. Don't you remember? Yeah. Send Snyder fans to go search our archives. Where is it? Where is it? (laughs) And they can't find it. Ha ha. Got him. Yeah, it was pretty good. I don't know if it was four hours good, but it was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, one arrow flying across space and time takes 20 minutes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> what a visionary. <laughs> I can't believe it. Yeah. Also, the post credit scenes from Eternals are also leaked online. And a pretty big spoiler, too. Like, I was shocked that, like, reputable news sources were just posting it as, like, the title of the article. Like, um, which I don't know. If, I, I'm not going to spoil it here. I also feel dumb not spoiling because everyone already knows what it is, but like there's a big know. post-credits thing in Eternals that What's it related to? Because I, I know It's a they, character slash actor reveal. Because I know Gemma Chan is in Captain Marvel, but as a different character than they're going yeah, to be playing yeah. in Eternals. So I don't know what that's about, but they just cast the same actor again. <laughs> <laughs> there's no story behind it. It's just what they did. Marvel fans Which, will be like, what's the theory? I got to know. This is there's no theory. They yeah, just contracted Marvel, them. Marvel fans have lost the ability to breathe without finding if there's a theory between air, oxygen, and well, it's like Marvel. I don't know. This will all soon be resolved, I'm sure, because of Spider-Man Endgame or whatever. The well, movie not just resolved. People just not care about Eternals no, within two weeks because Hawkeye it, starts. Well, it's... So there's, as you mentioned before, there's always debates about the Marvel canon and so forth. And everyone's like, well, once the multiverse gets opened up, it'll be taken care of. It's like, no, they'll find a new reason to argue about it. That's just how they are. It's just, yeah, but okay, everything's canon, but is it in the main timeline? Uh, Yeah, so Eternals, not looking great, but we'll see it anyway, because you gotta. And we need those sweet Marvel clicks. So, yeah, there's not much else to say about it other than... uh, it's not looking be, good. Be warned. All the information's online, like characters, important plot points. The end of the movie is just on there. So. And does this movie even matter, though, from what you've seen from the spoilers? Does it even matter yeah. to see this? So yeah. it's that big. Yes. <laughs> wow. Uh, there's like I said, there's a pretty big character reveal in the, one of the post credit scenes. I haven't read what the ending is, but in th- the Kevin Feige keeps b- talking up the movie as kind of like the first step, the first chapter of like the next phase of Marvel. So I think it's like the other flip of the coin, the other side of the coin where on the one hand you got stuff like Spider-Man, Dr. Strange, which first they get all the bells and whistles. It's kind of not fair. Spider-Man is the one that gets all of like the cameos and Dr. Strange is in theory going to have a bunch of weird stuff in it. And that's the stuff that excites nerds and also transits well to marketing. Because and this has been confirmed. This is just the popular rumor that everyone's repeating that there's going to be multiple Spider-Men in uh, Far From Home. That's easy to market. Like the most jaded, like non-comic book fan, the people who are like, "What's an Eternal? What are you talking about?" They'd be like, "Oh, you know, Garfield and McGuire are back. That's cool." So, yeah. on the one hand, it's a little unfair, but there's other. If we're, they're, they're building the new phases, quote unquote, Eternals is the first building block of the not involved in the multiverse stuff phases mm-hmm. unless i'm wrong unless like the end of the movie is like a uh, portal opens up in venom attacks eternals or something i don't know which would be pretty cool admittedly but i'm also gonna just like, flat out say this right now when it comes to spider-man thing like i could picture a big situation where you're like this movie's boring it's overstuffed i can follow it and i'll just be like yeah but 
all Spider-Man, right? That's pretty cool. And like, yeah. that's just, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, that's all I wanted. Daredevil showed up 10 out of 10, you know, if Kingpin has a punch of Spider-Man, it's gonna be 11 out of 10. <laughs> I'm not. I'm. I'm. A, I'm not ashamed of how much of a loser I am. So, <laughs> except you'll be ashamed when you sit down to Eternals and it actually is as is worse. Than I'm, you I'm prepared it to, to rip into it. You know, I I've never really given a Marvel movie a shellacking as far as a review goes. So, like Incredible Hulk. Okay, yeah, that was pretty bad, but yeah, but I'm also the most people. It's like, hey, Age Ultron. It's not as bad as everyone says it is. It's kind of boring. I'm sure if I rewatch Age of Ultron, I'll enjoy it a little more. And I like the Vision stuff, even if it's a little ridiculous. <laughs> even if it makes like no sense whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I just like Vision a lot, so I guess that's why. I'm just a stand for Vision. character. Yeah. yeah. So ex- expect a Dune review eventually, and you'll probably get an Eternals review next week. This will be our Chinese democracy Duke Nukem Forever review of our reviews. Where, like, what? Dune comes... We, we finally talk about it, and it's a disappointment, and it's not what you expected? <laughs> we finally talk about... No, we try to talk about it while, like, Dune 5 is coming out. It's, like, a retrospective. <laughs> like, oh, finally, Dan finally saw it, guys. <laughs> they had a special screening at Adobe. He waited only to then. <laughs> You're like Melvin. There's an there's an IMAX screening. Don't. <laughs> there is there is an IMAX screening I could go to. I guess I guess you could do it, but I think IMAX is the worst. <laughs> he'll, he'll allow me. <laughs> I'll permit you. I'll permit it. <laughs> it's definitely better than a standard screening where you have people talking in the back and doing inappropriate things so they can post on their gross Reddit. It's a uh, I I I am positive. Look, if you have bad experiences at the movies, every review reveals a new weird trauma that you have. <laughs> I haven't had that trauma. I'm just saying every time you go to the movies, if you're not paying for a premium ticket, you're going to have a terrible experience because it's just the worst. I mean, every time I've seen Adobe screen, it's people who clearly want to go see the movie because they've paid way too much movie to be in that screen uh way too much money to be in that screen <laughs> way way too much movie like you just lose movies in the future because you've spent movies now you have to hand in 10 dvds to see <laughs> the movie that's why i keep going to the thrift store man oh man <laughs> Thanks so much for checking out this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review and subscribing to the podcast. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematicdoctrine. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, Melanie, Sherlyon, and Thomas. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck. We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematicdoctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.